One thing I talk about with basically any couple or individual who's going through infertility is I tell them about what disenfranchised grief is. And what that is, is grief that's not recognized or acknowledged or grief that's invalidated in our society that we live in. And infertility is 100% in my mind, a form of disenfranchised grief, because you have this humongous loss, but there are absolutely no social norms about how to honor that. People, some people don't recognize it at all as a form of loss if there's not a physical thing that has been lost. So if you're somebody who's gone through a miscarriage, for example, some people don't see that as a loss. And so what I will talk about with basically everybody I work with in this area is how are we going to honor this loss that was so difficult for you? Two years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our baby girl to an undetected external infection. And what has followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. You know, I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. You know, no one told me that just because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Geds, and this is the Day One Podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents, to be doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation. Let's bring education to the forefront and most importantly, build a community so the journey doesn't feel so lonely. Hello, hello, welcome spring. Thank God I'm ready to say goodbye to a pretty effed up winter, emotionally, physically, COVID-y. <laughs> it's time to get more vitamin D and um, I don't know, the time change and the longer days and um, just the world opening up, whether you're comfortable or not, just kind of knowing we're trying to get back to some form of normalcy has been a bit of a light. Um, today you are in luck because we are talking to psychotherapist Christina Vero from Fresh Insight. Uh, she's the founder of this clinic. Uh, she speaks to couples, individuals, groups. She provides different programs really supports the fertility community so beautifully. Um, And we take up space in this conversation around what most of us, and I'm pointing to myself right now, tuck away to move forward, which is dealing with grief. And grief is a very hard thing for a lot of different people. I mean, for me personally, I have a ton of strategies that are really great for dealing with my grief and some that I really need to work on. Um, And this isn't like a super on the nose, let's just talk about grief and fertility conversation. It takes a lot of different turns because grief is, there's so, it's so complex when it comes to fertility. There's so many different things you're grieving and um, everything that we talk about here could ladder up into how do you deal with your grief? How do you support your partner? How do you, Uh, move forward and and 
there are so many uh, different layers. So that's why I've kind of called this episode Grief and Fertility um, to kind of root us in a theme here. Um, But they're just such beautiful concepts and conversations that we dive into, um, both from an individual and from a couple perspective. So very grateful to have Christina join us. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Yay, we made this work. Yay. <laughs> I'm so excited for you to be on this podcast. We were just saying that I think you and I connected like over six months ago. Yes. Yes. We've been busy and things have happened, but we finally got here. I'm really, really happy to be chatting with you today too. Yes. And you know, when day one launched, there were a couple, you know, companies and brands and offerings around, um, that were on my radar and fresh insight was one of them because you guys are doing some really great things. And we always kind of came together and had these like sidebar conversations being like, how are we going to, how are we going to merge these, um, two things that we're doing because it's so complimentary. Yes. And especially too, I find that the world of fertility doesn't have as many resources as some other populations in the mental health field. So it was really, really great for me too. I remember sharing your podcast with some of my friends and just saying like, this is a really, really new thing that somebody's doing of just being so candid about their own personal journey. So I'm so glad that the stars aligned and we oh, connected. I know me too. So, um, I know all the juicy things that you are up to, um, but probably, and you know what, probably some of my listeners do as well, but let's do a clean slate. Um, I want to kind of start off by like, what got you into this fertility world for some people know, um, based off your last name, but, um, can you, let's start there. Such a good question. And it's a really non-simple answer, actually. What is simple (laughs) infertility? True, true. But psychotherapy is actually my second career. I started as a journalist. I did some documentary films and things like that, which I really enjoyed getting to know people and getting these incredible stories. But then I would get these stories and then just be like, okay, thanks. Bye. Which felt kind of crappy to me. So then I went back to school as a psychotherapist, started working. And where my dad ties into this is that he's a infertility specialist. And so I've actually been exposed to the world of infertility since I was really, really young, like even just helping out at the clinic sometimes when I was younger as a summer job, I was always part of that world. And infertility was very normal in my household. It was an open discussion. It wasn't stigmatized, nothing at all. And never did I think that my dad's path and my paths would cross because he's the sciencey guy. I am not sciencey in any way. I'm the creative one who's like drawing in the corner or something like that. And then here we are and I'm seeing some of the people that he worked with in some cases and we have that overlap. And so I feel really personally connected to it as well, just from my upbringing, but also just being so passionate about now that I'm not in the journalism world, I can hear a story and say, well, how can we help you navigate that? And that feels really, really rewarding to me. How, I feel like you are such an anomaly to grow up in a house where fertility is open, um, where it's like eyes wide open, right? Going into it. Like, how do you feel that has helped you in your own personal, like view of fertility? Because everyone else, I would say the average person not educated, not normalized, always caught off guard if they're like, you know, um, up against some struggles. Um, so can you tell me about that? Like, what was that like and what has it been like? 
Yes. And I think the biggest thing that stands out to me was in my world, it was actually expected that somebody would have fertility issues because it was so common and it always was common to me. So if anything, when people said that they were able to get pregnant naturally, when I was an adult, I was like, Oh, that's wow. That's amazing. You know, for me, that was actually kind of unusual. And what I've learned is that people have no idea how common infertility is. It's one in six couples in Canada or individuals, according to health Canada, and people have no idea. So when we go through an educational system or when we go to doctor's appointments and the main message is make sure you don't get pregnant by accident. I think everybody else kind of grows up with this belief that it just happens just like that. And I was never that way. I thought it's actually really hard to get pregnant. (laughs) So I, it was so strange to learn that that was not normal because it was for me. Yeah. And you know, um, it's, it's so, I, I don't know why the word bizarre is coming up in my head because everyone you talk to in, in this world, is just, um, blind, a lot of blindsided. I was blindsided. I was blindsided, you know, and, um, it must help you also in your work, um, to almost normalize, like, um, to normalize what people are going through. Um, like in all the work I do and the mindset work that I'm, I work through, like, um, understanding the fertility and what I'm going through. I'm not like an, I'm not an exception. I find to be really like helpful. Absolutely. There's so much isolation that help it happens in the world of infertility. And, you know, I've had some people not like many people have said to me, have you worked with anybody else who's going with this through this issue? And it's like, they need that reassurance that they're not alone. And what I noticed is once people learned what I did for a living, and that I have a lot of people that I work with who have infertility, they'd say, Oh, Oh, I go through that. And like people outside of sessions. And so it just allowed people to have these conversations in such a more open way. And they say things like, Oh, I'm using an egg donor. And I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. That's like so not strange to me. So I hear you with that part of just really wanting to have some reassurance that you're not the only one. Yeah. And it's also one of these things where, um, it's, it's like you say egg donor and I'm in, I'm in it, right? Like I'm, um, like in real time, wrapping my head around every single roadblock that we seem to come up against. And, um, if it was just part of an option for you to build your family, um, my reaction to these things might be also a little different. And, um, I always love to reference this. Uh, I had a guest come on who was speaking about his donor child. And um, he was like, yeah, you know, when they're 18, their cohort is going to be a mix of IVF conceived, you know, um, donor conceived surrogacy support. Like in our, we think right now, these ideas are so beyond, like are hard to grapple with. And I think that in 20 years from now, it's just going to be like, how, how are you, you like, how are you conceived? You know what I mean? It's not assumed that everyone is just conceived through natural conception, which I think has happened is happening sort of still right now. Yes. I would agree with that too. I think there's a lot of people that are still clinging to this image of a more traditional nuclear family where the kids are born naturally in quotes. And it's just not true. If you look at what's going on, we have 
blended families, we have single parent families, trans parents, homosexual parents, IVF, egg donors, sperm donors, surrogates. Like it, it, I don't really know why we still sometimes cling to the idea that this traditional family still exists because in my opinion, it just is the least common now. So I totally agree with you. It's so refreshing. Like, I'm like, Ooh, like I'm like, I have like, my back is like up straighter talking with you, you know, because you get very, um, stuck in this idea that you, this dream is taken from you. Um, and I find that to be with everyone that I've spoken with, it's like, um, uh, the, the dream is taken until you have the baby you're supposed to have. And then you're like, oh yeah, this is the family we were all, but you have to, for a lot of people, it's, you have to get there first to look back on it, to say like, oh, this is totally not a big deal kind of. And it'd be great if we were educated in the upfront that the dream and like, look, I'm not trying to take away the fact to have biological children, of course, is something that, you know, we all strive for, but it doesn't mean it's lesser or it doesn't mean that the dream that you want isn't there. Um, And I think I'm getting into the conversation with you that I'm sure you have every day with your patients and your clients of this narrative, right? Of wrapping their heads around all of that. Um, Can you walk me through some of, you know, what are those conversations and what are some um, like tips or suggestions that you're having when people have to go back and forth around what their options are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I talk about with basically any couple or individual who's going through infertility is I tell them about what disenfranchised grief is and what that is, is grief that's not recognized or acknowledged or grief that's invalidated in our society that we live in. And infertility is 100% in my mind, a form of disenfranchised grief because you have this humongous loss but there are absolutely no sort social norms about how to honor that people. Some people don't recognize it at, at all as a form of loss. If there's not a physical thing that has been lost. So if you're somebody who's gone through a miscarriage, for example, some people don't see that as a loss. And so what I will talk about with basically everybody I work with in this area is how are we going to honor this loss? That was so difficult for you. And that looks different for everybody, but it's really, really important. And I find very helpful from people who have done that. So I know some people who have written a letter to the baby that they thought they were going to have, and then they either throw it out or they burn it. Some people will plant a tree or do something like that. Some people will have a funeral of some kind and they'll invite their closest friends and family. And I think that's incredibly important for processing what has happened to you. Um, I just wrote down that also, I think there's grief in the dream of, you know, it's not always in the loss. Like there's so much grief in your fertility, um, quest in, because part of you is like, well, I'm grieving the fact I can't do this on my own. I'm grieving the fact I have to, you know, maybe give up your savings that you were saving for something else. And now you're putting it towards, you know, a medical intervention or, grieving that you felt you could carry your baby and that you can't like, there's these secret, it's like a secret grief also that's underlying it all. Um, how do you approach that? 
Yes, it's such a good, good point. And also, you're right, it's a grief that touches so many areas of somebody's life. And so how we touch on that is, again, we sort of just open space for them to talk about what this has been like for them, which sounds very simple. But I find many people don't have that space because they're either too embarrassed to talk about their fertility Or if they do open up about it, there's such a lack of education around it that people just don't know how to respond. And they can say some really well-intentioned but extremely hurtful things. So for example, a common one I've heard is if somebody has a baby already or they have a child and then they have a miscarriage, they hear, well, at least you have your other kid. And that's just not an appropriate way to respond to somebody that completely invalidates that loss. So just having an area that's totally confidential and totally non-judgmental where they can say, you know what, I'm so angry. I just want to punch every pregnant person in the face. It's like, yeah, that's, that's allowed. And you're able to talk about that here and you don't have to carry the weight of that secret or the shame of that, because that's actually a super normal reaction. And when I'm talking to other therapists who haven't worked with people who are going through infertility, I'll say it's basically work around grief and trauma. Cause I feel like that's exactly what it is. And you've touched on all of the ways that people grief and also how traumatizing it can be for somebody to go through the world thinking that this is a given because that's what they've been told by so many different people and organizations and things like that. And then to feel like, Oh, is it my fault? Or did I do this to myself? There's so many traumatic things in there. So many. And, you know, secondary infertility, I think you've touched on a couple ones in there too, which is, you know, um, it's, it's like an, it can be a very awkward one because people are like, but you have your kid. What do you, there's a, that's a whole other. And then even, I feel like people that don't have a baby yet are triggered by people that are in secondary infertility because then they're like, but you have, it's, it's a very sensitive ground because it, I, I find personally, I find it's like, there's a community, you know, day one, big community membership but it's, I, it's, it's still an isolated experience. So, you know, you can build up these communities and they're, I think they're very important from somebody that actually didn't have one to now that has one. And I can see the difference, but no matter what it's, you're still on the road alone. I know what you mean. What I've learned, which was quite interesting. We launched a support, a couple support groups for infertility this year. And something I didn't expect was that there were people who said I wanted to join, but I didn't know if I was qualified enough. Mm -hmm, Me too. Yeah. I didn't know if my grief was big enough or if my infertility was that bad. And that really puzzled me actually, because I thought, well, anybody going through this journey, no matter where you are, could really benefit from just having some people around. But there is that fear of, oh, you know, maybe because I have a child already in this example, I'm just not allowed to join. This is for people who have it worse. And so there's a way that I think we also isolate ourselves. Yes. You know, in addition to being isolated societally. Fresh insight. When did it launch? Tell me about it. You guys have um, your own sort of support group um, that sort of, uh, that's less rolling and more just, I think like programmatic, um, that comes out. I'd love to kind of dive into that. Sure. So our clinic opened in 2018 and back then it was just me by myself. So it was a pretty lonely ride. And then the word got out there about our services and we do really good work if I'm allowed to say that. And so now yes, you are. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was, it was hard work. So I'm we happy need to, to share honor. our wins as women. Yes. Right. It is important. Yes. 
Yeah. So since then, we've brought on some more team members, which has been really, really exciting and wonderful for me to watch. And I learned so much from them. And the woman who leads our fertility support groups, her name is Rachel Sunda, and she specializes in grief and trauma. So she's the perfect fit. And it's educational in many ways. So she'll sort of talk about things like disenfranchised grief, for example. And then there's that added bonus of people being able to realize, oh, I'm not alone in this and share their story. And that's a really, really healing component of it. And the most recent one that you have going is kind of a new new thing for you. Or last time we spoke, talk to me about that because I found that one to be super interesting. Yeah. So we've just launched one as well. That's for anybody who is assisting somebody going through infertility. So Mm. that can be a partner, that can be a family member. It can be a friend because what's really common in this field or this area is that there's a lot of good intentions that come out the wrong way. And there's not many people. I mean, if this is already something that's quite secretive, then as a supporter, you also are wondering, I don't even know what support looks like here. Am I doing the right thing? You might think you're doing the right thing, but it's actually landing horribly on the person you're supporting. So we wanted to create a space where we can talk openly with the supporters as well. Because what can also happen with them is that if their partner is going through fertility treatments, they also feel like they can't take up space in that relationship. So if it's a partner, for example, they might think, oh, well, who am I to say that I'm struggling when my significant other is getting hormone injections every single day, I should just shut up. But then they can have all of this grief that's unprocessed. They can be coping in really unhealthy ways. And they also need a space to talk about some of that. Um, I'm first of all, I love this. I talk about this a lot on day one. It's like, you know, um, supporting loved ones that are going through it is, is a really important component and how, um, if the infertility community just speaks to each other, we're never going to make change. We need people outside of us to be part of it, to be educated, to learn and all. And, um, it's kind of like, is it all is AA? don't they have a support group for people, right. That, um, loved ones that are in AA, and then you, you kind of go and you learn how to support them. And, um, it's, it's the missing piece, I think. Yes, because it also takes the burden off of the person going through the treatments because it that takes a lot of energy as well to educate people in your life about what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. It takes a lot of energy. It's really awkward sometimes. And if you're going through so much, you don't want to carry that burden a lot of the time, nor should you have to. And so my ideal vision is that you're exactly right. We educate enough people outside of this community too, so we can have this bigger systemic shift, which is the idealist in me, but this is why we're talking. We can make it happen. A hundred percent. What is that a program that's like starts on a certain date or you can jump in at any time or how does that work? We're planning to launch the first one in April. So Mm. I'll have to get the specific date to you once we're done filming, but that's coming quite soon. That's amazing. Um, we will def, I definitely want to make sure that everyone listening and the day one community knows about that. What I love that Fresh Insight is doing is thinking about what is needed. Like it sounds like the gaps that are missing and then putting a program in place. Um, Is that, yeah. That's exactly it. So they run for five weeks. You have five five. sessions and you have the same people in your group for that entire time. And we keep it small so that it can still be intimate and you can make strong connections. 
and then you do your five classes and then you can find resources elsewhere in the community, whether it's day one or a different support group or a different program, or maybe you happen to do our partner support group after that, um, whatever it happens to be. But you're exactly right that it's just good to have options in this field and in this area. Yeah, because it's just not every everything out there is you're going to get pulled to, but when there's only one thing, you're like, well, now I'm in this one thing, but I love the recognition of what's needed and then taking your resources and expertise and building something for that, um, is so awesome. So, so good. So, um, in terms of like what you're seeing day to day and some of the hardships and the conversations, what do you feel are some of those like top sort of therapy, therapy discussions that you're having it, what, what's some advice you can attach to that? Mm -hmm. I would say with couples, this is what's standing out in my mind right now for some reason, but with couples, I notice usually it's one of two things that happens. One is that they really avoid the subject. And so there's a lot that's unsaid. And there's a lot of assumptions that are being made from each person that when you actually put it out on the table, they're like, Oh, I had no idea that you felt that way. And Oh my goodness, that's so interesting. So what's really common in those situations is let's open up the floor to talk about this so that there isn't anything being lost in translation on the total other end of the spectrum. There's people where this has consumed their entire life and they actually don't talk about anything else. So every single thing is about uh, when is our next fertility treatment? When are we going to see a naturopath so that we can help prepare our body? Oh, I also want to sign up for acupuncture with you. Then I think that we should do massage therapy together for stress management. Then I think we should do couples therapy. And it just seeps into every single facet of the relationship in a way that's just not healthy and sustainable. And, you know, in those cases, you can also get emotions so heated all the time because there's no space for fun and pleasure and joy between the couple, because this has really overtaken their life, which is really understandable, right? You touched on the fact that this is a financial burden, emotional burden can affect relationships. So it's easy to happen. And we also want to make sure that we're proactive about that. That is so true. It's your, it's like two sides of the coin. You're kind of like on one side that you guys aren't talking or you're on the other side where it's, you're not talking about anything else. What advice would you give um, couples to make this sustainable? Mm -hmm. I would say find some ways to put boundaries around these conversations and don't avoid it completely. So we just sort of talked about the either or end of this spectrum, but finding some middle ground is that you talk about this sometimes, but you also don't talk about it sometimes. Like there is such a thing as having too much conversation about a topic, in my opinion. So how can we set, set some limits around that? How can we help you have fun again? That's really, really important. And then how can we just make sure that your communication is clear, it's kind, it's compassionate, and we work through those skills as well in couples therapy. The importance of just taking breaks sometimes. A lot of couples will reach a point where they say, okay, that's it for now. And even if they don't know when the end of that break will be, it can just be really important for your sanity to say, okay, I'm not going to worry about every single thing that's going into my mouth and my body, for example, and I'm not going to worry about appointments. So we need that balance as well. Sometimes it is, that is the heart. It is such a tricky lesson to learn. I, I, I feel as hard as we both try in our own ways to start teaching around understanding what treatment actually looks like, no going, telling people enough. So they're going into it with eyes wide open. Um, 
telling them to kind of like ditch the timeline. Um, you kind of can't until you've experienced it, you know, you can. And, um, I think that the break concept is a really hard one. I remember I did this episode last year, um, in our second round of IVF, we found out that the only two embryos that we had weren't viable. And I was like, well, I'm just going to take the summer off. And I felt like I didn't really take the summer off because my brain was still sort of like there. And, um, and then I preached about this break, but I didn't do it really. And I think that it's like, you kind of have to like what I'm learning, the one of my hard lessons or one of the lessons I'm learning is like, you just, ha- you, you got to do things and then you start to figure out, you got to climb the ladder and then each rung is going to teach you something new. Yes, I totally hear that. And the expression, know thyself came to mind mm. as you're, you're very right. And it's interesting to me because I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to it. And also for us, it might change week to week and that's also okay. And don't be hard on yourself for that. You know, like I know some uh, people have told me that if they're going through IVF, their friends will say, well, make sure you take time off work. And for some people that's helpful. And for some people, it absolutely is not a lot of the people I work with. I get to know really, really well how their brain works. And we might have conversations of, oh, do we think that's good for your brain to just be sitting around all day and not having yeah. a distraction? And some people will say, that's very fair. And I'm going to go back to work because that actually is a form of self-care for me. So it's, and if that changes next week, okay, it changes next week, but having that flexibility with yourself and not fusing with one version of yourself or a part of your identity is really, really important. Oh, that is so good because, you know, that's the other thing is to your point, it's like, none of this is one size fits all. And, and that's, <laughs> this is where I get like real, like fired up in terms of fertility, because it's like, it's everyone's biological biology is different. So everyone's talking about their protocols. And as much as I could go in and say, well, you know, Susie has the same issues as me. I want her protocol. It worked. We don't have the same biology. So it's this, and then it's the same in terms of self-care. Um, and so it's this bizarre place fertility, um, because you, are wanting to soak up all of the expert advice on all ends, but then it really does come down to the fact that you do need to know what works for you. And then to layer this all on, and I'm so sorry, you just caught me because I'm so in it myself is like, um, is, is, and I've been talking about this so much. I'm sure listeners are like, shut up, but is this like, also dissociation with yourself too, to get as a coping mechanism, you know, you've almost put yourself, you're being on a shelf because you've become this lab rat. So you're like, I have to dissociate from that. And then, and then, you know, you're like, and then you're on all your hormones. So it's just so hard in this process to figure who is Emily. I don't know. I haven't been Emily in three years. Like, So it's this balance act that you're playing with yourself 
I just went on a tangent, but that's because that's where I am right now. <laughs> I love it when people go on tangents because it's just so, it's something you're passionate about. I love watching passion, but <laughs> no, it's, it's very true. And I think the good thing in the bad thing about infertility is that people really do get to know themselves very, yes. very deeply and certain coping mechanisms or strategies that might've existed before that you didn't know about suddenly, you know, about, and I always say that is so helpful as a parent because you're going to walk into being a parent with all of these new skills and all of this self-awareness and probably a lot more empathy for what your child eventually goes through. So it is a process of definitely getting to know yourself though. I, I feel like some people don't believe me also when I say this, but, um, I, I feel like my fertility experience has evolved me so much as a human to, to like a level of existence that I would never have had without this. And I look at that as a gift because if you only look at fertility as like this terrible thing that you have to go through, you're never going to grow. You're never going to evolve. And it's the cards we were dealt. So it's, how are you playing with them is, is sort of been, um, something that I, um, over the past year have been really working through, which is like, my fertility journey is happening for me. So how is it happening for me? Well, I've been growing in this different way. I've have an awareness I've never had before because this isn't going to last forever. There will be an end, however that end looks like. So what are you going to say you're getting from it? It's a hard concept. I can appreciate that. Yes, it's a real balancing act. It's, it's about finding that balance between allowing yourself to be upset and not forcing yourself to always be okay. And also forcing yourself to not always be in despair, which is really hard. It is so hard. I, what I really love a sentence that I have in my mind a lot for these types of things is yes. And so, yes, I am really struggling and I hate every single thing about this today. And I know that I have to go through this journey so that I have a family or whatever it happens to be. Right. But having the yes. And keeps both there as an option and helps you be compassionate and accountable to yourself at the same time. I love that. I, you know, when I use that too, is when pregnancy announcements or other things, you know, it's like, I always say we are the masters of two emotions infertility. It's like, I am so happy for you, truly. And I'm really, really sad for myself, you know, and it's not one or the other. It's not that I can't be sad. So it means I can't be happy. Um, But again, like even this conversation that I get to have with you, I'm only getting to have with you because I'm at this level of awareness. Right. You know, Emily, 2018, I'd be like, I don't, what is, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the evolution, um, that this journey has brought, um, to, to us. Uh, and to your point, it's like, I think it's also the understanding that nothing is permanent. So like the dark, 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 which I've literally just in the midst of coming out of it didn't feel as hard for me because I knew I'd get out of it. I knew I was in it. I understood the cycle of a, of a, you know, um, of being disappointed in this 
experience. And so it didn't feel like forever. Whereas, and I think for me, there's been points where I'm like, it will not life is over. Like, it's just never going to be okay. And, um, I think when you're in the dark, 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 even if you get a glimpse of it for like two minutes that day where you're like, this freaking sucks. You know, I'm so sad. I'm crying all the, all the things, but I, I know that this will pass. Yes. And I'm going to book five concert tickets to make sure that it does. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I know. And and I say to a lot of people as well, that there are very few things that we're certain on in life, but one of them is that things change. Mm. And when you're in one of those really dark moments, that can be really comforting of if anything, I know that this has to change. Not sure how, but this is going to change. And that can be some light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. A hundred percent. And knowing that, you know, um, I've had a couple people in the, in the membership recently in the midst of like going into a two week wait. And they're like, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxiety. I'm like, guys, first of all, you've done this before you you've lived through a two week wait, you can do it. And you have a choice on how you want to do it. Um, and that's the other part of this for me is like, you have evidence that you will get to the other side, that you will get over the dark, that you will make your new plan, that, you know, things will loosen up. You have evidence of it. Yes, totally. And, you know, sometimes what I've learned is that when people are really in the darkness, there, like really in it and they just can't even hear that. I sort of am a hope lender in those sessions where I say, you don't actually have to believe it today if you need to rely on me. And even if there's a party that thinks I'm being so naive and annoyingly optimistic, there's usually one little nugget that stays with them so that when I see them at the next session, they think, okay, yes, I'm fine now. But that's why support and having a therapist, having a community, all of these things are so important because it's like the subconscious mind is sort of listening into you. Maybe the conscious mind is not ready for that, but also it's, to, to our, our whole theme of today, which I think is like just learning and knowing yourself. It's just, sometimes you're like, I just want to be in the shit right now. Honestly, I think I could sit here and just word vomit, like all of my complexities and my philosophies and mindset around, around fertility. Um, me too. I'm like, I could just do this all day. Like, let me just get a snack. Let me just get a glass of water. I actually kind of forgot we were being recorded. I was like, let's just keep going. I love it. I should have come to you with all my, all of my, my interest. Well, I kind of did actually, I was going to say come to you, but I'm like, I kind of just aired all my stuff, but, um, it's so great to speak with you. You're such a good resource for the community. And, and, um, where can people find you? How can people sign up? Are you guys, accepting new clients. Give me a ring around for fresh insight. You got it. So, uh, people can definitely check out our support group for that. You just go on our website, which is fresh dash insight.ca. And it's a lot more accessible and affordable than individual or couple psychotherapy. If you are looking for some more one-on-one support though, you can also go on our website for that. And we have some blogs about fertility. I wrote a blog about what to never say to somebody going through infertility in case that's helpful for any support. Can you give give me a teaser? 
Can you give us one? Oh, oh yeah. There's a lot on there. Like at least you have this, as we've talked about is a big one. Just the question of when are you having kids, I think is really inappropriate. So everybody can go check that out, whether you're going through fertility or not. And yes, we are taking on new clients. So you can reach out if you'd like to chat with us. Well, I want to ask you the last question that I ask everyone that joins, which is, you know, what would be your advice to somebody starting their day one of their fertility journey? Oh, it's such a good question. I would say try to find support proactively. The worst thing that's going to happen is that you're going to meet some really lovely people who are very kind. So just find some people that you can really, really trust, like friends, do things for self-care, be super intentional and proactive about it. Coming from a true therapist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no surprise that answer. Yeah. Um, it was, this was such a lovely conversation. Again, thank you so much for your time. I feel like this is not the last time that the day one members and community will see your face and your company. And um, I'm just honored to have be in your sphere basically. So thank you. Oh, thank you. And, and, you know, I'm very appreciative for what you're doing too. Just this unfiltered experience and journey is just so brave and important for people. So thank you as well. Like, I feel like this is just such a love bubble right now. It's I know it's like happy. a love fest. <laughs> it's crazy too. Cause I've started day one in the mid- middle of pandemic and I've built all of these amazing connections and I've met no one. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so strange. Like in person, yeah. you know? Yeah. Wow, yeah. It's so it's, I guess it's the world in which we live a little bit, right? Like where we've gotten used to it, but, um, mm-hmm. and I love for t- the fertility community because you are instant best friends with people. Yes. It's so like true. instantly. Yeah. 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 Um, well until, until, and until the next one. <laughs> yes. I love that until next time, until next time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. My mission for day one is to help provide support and new perspectives for those in the midst of trying to build their family, plus a bit of an educational kick to those supporting loved ones experiencing the struggle. But I can't do it alone. I need help to spread the word. So if you have a few minutes to share, write a review or rate this podcast, that would be so appreciated. Let's all do our part to help shed light on the realities of fertility. Also, want to learn more about our memberships? Direct message me for a one-on-one connect or check out dayonefertility.com slash membership.